Hello again, one and all. James Irish here with part two, as promised, of our Dungeon Master Roundtable, where Chrissy and I have special guests Christopher Frank, Tanya Metris, Randy Metris, and Seth Coast. Believe me, we could not have been more flabbergasted and genuinely happy that this group gave us so much good material, but we do try to keep these a little on the shorter side, so here it is, as promised. Part two. Getting into this a little bit, but uh, let's just go whole hog now. Here's another question from Jason. What was the craziest gaming experience you ever had? Randy, you've probably got. I already, I already explained mine. The party (laughs) constitution can't be beat. I I did nothing. I all I did was let them adventure and gather a massive amount of treasure, and quite frankly, agreed to go for. Well, when you have two lawful good characters, a lawful neutral character, and something else in there, and they were all trying to figure out how to split up the the magic items. I want that spell book. No, I want that spell book. You don't cast spells, but my NPC does. No, I want to see if I can attract a mage follower. Like, what about the mage that's in the party? I think it's interesting to say that to, to remark that some of the, the rules that they came up with actually live on in all of our other groups at that table. <laughs> some some of the things that they came up with with like how to distribute and, and whatnot, we we still do on this to this day. And I of course now migrated that over to my own table. So you know it's funny to see how how there are repercussions and it affects our who our can make experience. the best use of this item yeah and, <laughs> and it kind of becomes like if if i want to compare it to like world of warcraft it kind of becomes like soulbound because and if you can't use it then you sell it to somebody else that can or you give it to somebody else that can if it's not if it's something that only binds when equipped on on the world of warcraft game right 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 um, so you, you try to figure out what's going to be the best to, quote-unquote, beat the DM, because you want to live. So therefore... Hey. I, you're not DMing today. Evan is. Um, so, but, I mean, He's going to remember that when it's his turn, though. Yeah, that's I Thursday. I, I have so many player deaths or, in, or with his can. campaigns. I've gotten over it that I'm like, I'm just going to create a character that looks just like it and becoming vengeance. Uh, and it's a younger sister or whatever. Uh, uh, so but, crazy stories. Tanya, Tanya, what kind of crazy stories have we put you through? Fireball. 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 <laughs> Fireball. Well, there was a time where I had a player character cast a fireball down a corridor that landed oh, go there. right in front of my brother's face by like an inch. Um, and, and, and for full disclosure, I was playing the brother. Yeah. So. <laughs> Chris so is like, I, no more at that. Um, I don't think we've had any... I'm like... The, the party constitution was one that sat back and did it. I'm like... Um, crazy. I think Hunter trying to um grapple the Tarask dragon. Was dragon. dragon, dragon no, might have knew been. better on the Tarask fight. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm I. I don't think it Why has. Why was she trying to grapple a dragon? Because she, she was, was a, a high she... level, epic level monk, and she could. it didn't work out the way she expected it though she had like a 45 armor class at that point and i couldn't hit her it was ridiculous he couldn't hit half of us um in that in that campaign i don't think that i've had any like crazy crazy stories um i would think just don not charging the the um the monster with his lance and the first thing that he just just motioned up, moved up, and then stopped instead of charging in, and he let oh. the one come to him, and I've then it killed its mount. 
so yeah i don't know maybe uh teleporting out of an evil fane is probably the craziest thing i've done as a player i panicked that that was yeah. my yeah i don't think i have any like crazy crazy things so at the uh, the beginning of the current game that I'm running with James, um, one of the players was a uh, a barbarian, and they decided to go off on their own. And this oh, is like around well already. This is around level one, level two, uh -huh. and uh, they get ambushed by by some some guards essentially that are uh, not uh, friendly, and they get taken back to this castle. They did not kill him. They took him back to the castle, put him in a jail cell, and he eventually. Actually, I kept going back to him every so often, and he eventually was able to make a break. He escaped, and he was able to get out of the entire castle all on his own, only to try to you know regroup with the the party. Comes across uh, giant rats. They take him down. It, it, this is one of the ones I'm rolling it out on the table because uh -huh. it was back and forth, and he was at one HP. One hit would have killed him. He went three rounds without oh. dying. Ended up <laughs> killing them all off, and then later the, the party finds him in his camp while he's eating rats. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my God, that's and that, that is by amazing. the way, was John Parengal. Oh, oh was it really? Oh yeah. my God, was that John? Great was job, John. John. Good job, John. That's phenomenal. Hey, Seth, I, I have a similar experience now. I'm, I'm the kind of DM that, as I told Chrissy, you know, in anticipation of this interview, I'm a shameless appropriator. So, you know, my campaigns, I tend to let the characters' experiences create the story. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just string together adventures that I think I like or I think they'll like. And a lot of them are pre-published. And, and there was one I was running a first edition D&D &D with, with our friend Mark and, and, and with Tanya and, and a bunch of other friends years ago. And it was um, like, like House in the Icy Wastes or something like that. And unbeknownst to me, for some reason, this module was perfectly balanced to the party level. Perfectly. It, in the ensuing adventure, not only did Tanya's character die because three quarters of the party was chaotic, and when she lay on the floor bleeding, they were busy searching for treasure. Damn Catterwall. <laughs> but at the very end of the adventure, when they met the group of big baddies, one after another, a good guy fell, a bad guy fell, a good guy fell, a bad guy fell. Finally, it was Mark and the last NPC battling it out, and everybody was on the edge of their seat watching die rolls. That was just a phenomenal experience. And Mark did eventually defeat the bad guy and managed to save the party. And again, it just you know rolls back to those stories, those phenomenal stories you have to tell. It was mm -hmm. just a crazy, unexpected, but it worked out perfectly situation. Yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> that one was nuts. I forgot about that. I, I bring up the Caterwall story quite often because they left me to die. Bleed out. Yeah. Not, I mean, and it's not intentionally. No, it's just, I mean, I, I dropped to like negative five and then, then, um, I just kept marking off the rounds and. And then somebody goes, Oh, anybody check on Tanya's character? Oh, she's dead. <laughs> Like forty five minutes later of them wandering around checking for treasure. Oh, oh boy. Oops. Yeah. So on that actual um I actually do have a question from the from my cousins in Italy. Um what books would you actually recommend um someone who wants to DM? What should they invest in? If they're going to go like having their own book routes, which books would you recommend that they have in their storage as their backup to planning stories? The internet, <laughs> and, and, and when you say books, you don't mean you don't mean a library. Still you mean you mean like like um, fiction, something to give you ideas, something to give you ideas, or like um, you know, like Tasha's Cauldron of Everything that just came out. Um, like, what of those books, of those resource books, would you recommend um, for someone who wants to try to create characters or? Um, create monsters or use monsters. other than the player's handbook the dmg and the monster manual what in in addition yeah, to those like, three main books yeah like in addition to those three main books what would you recommend hmm. what are the i know i'm not part of the panel but i've actually got a book right here that i've been reading uh, on and off since before the pandemic started something i've been hoping to loan to seth until the pandemic started and suddenly we're not capable 
It's called The Monsters Know What They're Doing, Combat Tactics for Dungeon Masters by Keith Amman, A-M-M-A-N-N. And it's not about, oh, this is the way to kill your players. It's more like, this is how these creatures will act based on their stat blocks, Mm -hmm. their 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 uh, societies and whatnot. This so like a, a beholder is not going to act the same way as a cockatrice, right? And this and this book breaks down how exactly a little stupid rooster that turns people to stone will act in a combat situation against a group of adventurers and things like that. It's. I think- yeah, really? that, that's definitely yeah. a good one. But I think Randy had a good point. If you have access to the internet, you have access to a whole bunch of um, resources that you wouldn't necessarily have to buy. And there's no saying um, that um, the little lowly kobolds can't have a seventh level hero champion. Randy. Um, that you forget that have uh, multiple tax. Multiple tax. But squarely on me. But but as a, as a DM, I'm like you can take anything like monster wise, and there's nothing saying that they can't have like hero type levels that they mm-hmm. didn't necessarily um, go up in the ranks of stuff, and 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 just tweak things that way. I'm like just reading short stories, just watching um, different TV shows, like watching Lord of the Rings helps. And James, um, email that title of that book to me, would you? I, I, I need to add something to my uh, my bookshelf. Oh, are you, are you going to order two of them? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in redundancy, remember? <laughs> I think I've seen it. The monsters know what they're doing. Hold on. I'll, I'll just Amazon it right now. Yeah, so there's a book and I, I can't remember the title, but it talks about how you can take even for a high level party, you can take normal kobolds and give them the the ability right to make smart traps and make them a formidable flow. Oh, yeah. Right? So so the, the combination of numbers and the combination of their traps and how they would lay out their lair can really change, you know change it up from a kobold being a typically low-level enemy to something that a high-level party could actually fear. Yeah, that that goes back, I mean, back in old school days, you know, one of the stories, and you, you can check it on the internet, something called Tucker's Kobolds. I mean, this this guy was... A, Maybe that's what I'm thinking insane of. Insane genius DM that decided, well, obviously kobolds are half-hit die. They're very weak. You know, back in the day, you didn't, you know, class up your monsters typically. Um, so kobolds would use a lot of pit traps or net traps or or maybe lure adventurers into a room with yellow mold. Or maybe they have some trained uh, carrion crawlers. You know, the sky's the limit, right? They'll use poison weapons because they're so weak. I mean, you know, who's to say these half-hit die monsters are just going to stand there and take it while you're lobbing arrows and, and magic missiles at them, right? They're, they're, they're going to they're gonna play nasty because, you know, their life is, you know, nasty, brutish, and short, to coin a phrase from Warhammer. Mm. That Warhammer, that, that we've, Christy and I have said it before, we're going to say it again. That's definitely a subject for the future. Oh, yeah. But I got one other resource that I absolutely love that is free and internet-based. Look up the YouTube channel RuneSmith. His Basically series, you know, like Basically Beholders, Basically the Underdark, Basically Eberron, Basically the Feywild, Basically Mind Flayers and like that, are okay. brilliant, short breakdowns of what makes those particular concepts tick and uh, give you enough background to adapt them to what you want to do. And basically he's like Bill Nye for Dungeon Masters. Well, that sounds like fun. Oh, great. Now all these potential players are going to listen to this podcast and know our dirty little secrets. Well, then think of all the times we can make a second get out of the DM's chair finally. (laughs) No, he can stay in the DM's chair. Yeah, he's good at it. <laughs> yeah, that I can't argue with. <laughs> All right. So another one that we have here um, is... Da, 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 where is it? Oh. Is this from Italy? 
No, this one's actually not from Italy. This one is actually from a group, that same group of teenagers. What's your favorite story to tell? Like a quest story, not someone being stupid and not sharing their Skittles. I want to know what's going on with the Skittles. Don't we all? Rainbow. Well, no, because there's In been... Soviet Russia, the rainbow tastes you. <laughs> I have not gotten the Skittles story yet. I'm going to get it, and I will share it. I still have not gotten out of this group. What the hell is the deal with the Skittles? So what was the what was the question then, Chrissy? What is your favorite story to tell? Like, a, uh -huh. like what is your favorite story that you made up to for your for your uh, players? Like, not just someone being mean and like you know a player being stupid and, and not doing something stupid, but the story you created to t have your players live through. What was your favorite one that you made? I, I think I'm going to go back to the first campaign that my buddy Scott uh, was a player for. And so this, it was loosely second edition and third edition was on the horizon. It was about to be released. Um, so we did switch over, I, I think halfway through the campaign, just to kind of learn uh, the new rules. Um, but it was uh, my buddy, Scott, uh, my, my uh, late buddy, Brian, his wife, Annette, uh, and a variety of other folks, my friend Aaron and her brother Keith, uh, we had this great group. And I just started kind of setting this whole story up and telling it. And I had been, I had been creating the world, that the game world that they'd been in for like about f five, 10 years at that point. Uh, and then they ran with it. It's like Randy was saying, you know, it's letting the players kind of create the story. And then I would add layers to it. And it became this epic, we're going to save not just the world, but the multiverse and the low, upper levels because they were just so into it. And they were like, well, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And, you know, it, they're, they're going from fighting kobolds to, to these monsters, these monsters. They're, they're moving up through the ranks. And, um, you know, they named the, the party. Like, every party takes on its own identity, its name, you know, its, its emblem, its iconography, et cetera. Uh, but this group, they were actually like, this was before the internet was really prevalent so they were sending postcards to each other hey i've got this idea can you can you call me tonight or something like or call me when you get a chance and they were sending uh, uh like actual letters around to each other you know th there would be a chain letter going on oh i have to send this off to this person this okay so in the in between the two weeks between play sessions they're communicating as fast as they possibly can with each other it was hilarious to watch in action um but in terms of craziness there was one time where they were defending a city and uh you know they're they're doing the whole we're going to have the last stand at the front gate thing and i'm like cool i'm setting it all up for them I'm, I'm going i'm as they're mounting up the defenses i'm like okay i'm adding a rank of goblins here i'm going to add some more orcs over here so i'm trying to be commensurate because they want this they're trying to build up this huge epic fight i'm going to give it to them um but then uh, my buddy brian who was playing the monk uh, looks at me and goes, okay, so is there an easy way for me to get onto that Western flank? I'm like, you're going to have to like really go out of your way. You're probably gonna have to plow through maybe at night. If you do some stealth one, he goes, no, load me up into a catapult. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we looked at him, we're like, what? And then of course, you know, um, Keith yells out the, the famous line from Christian Slater in the, in the uh, Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie that since we're staying PG-13, I will not re recite it here. Um, but yeah, it all... He cleared the wall? Oh, he, yes, the one where they cleared the wall with the catapult. And, uh, and so sure enough, this became this living legend moment. And I just let him do it. I, I, let, him, I let him tell me tell what, you know, what the story was going to be like. And, and uh, it made the difference. It made all the difference in the world. Yeah, and, and Chris, I think you really touch on one of the most invaluable things here is, is James asked, you know, what books maybe you use for reference or find value. Quite mm -hmm. honestly, I find value in just what's being bandied about the table when I mm -hmm. put the characters in a situation. Sometimes I have no absolute plan after putting them in that situation, but they'll say something that strikes a chord. It's like, Wow, that's a phenomenal idea. Why didn't I think about that? I'm using it. <laughs> they kind of write their own story in, in, in many instances. That's the real DM secret right there. Let yeah. your players tell you what you didn't plan and don't plan much. Mm -hmm. No, because chances are, even if you read and plan for hours at a time, they are going to uh, take their tangent and go a completely different direction that you didn't prepare for. Oh, yeah. Nobody absolutely. expects the Spanish. I mean, uh, <laughs> 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 
and on so that note of Omnix, uh, um, oh, sure. go ahead. I was going to say back to uh, you know f favorite story. Uh, this this isn't one that I created, but it was in the game that I think was the uh, the first one that James and I played together under a DM named Jeremy. Um, we were traveling, and I believe we had some some very important cargo, and uh, we were trying to take it somewhere. And on the way, we're passing through this forest, and we hear this girl crying out in the middle of the forest, and. Um, I want to say my character argued that we should keep going because what we were transporting was very important, but we didn't. We stopped when we found the girl crying and she took us back to her house where she said that, um, do you remember what she said, James? Was it? I only wish. What's that? I only wish I remembered. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was something like, like her parents were gone and she couldn't find them or something like that. So we, we all go into the house and we're we're exploring around trying to find any sort of clues as to you know where anything has gone and then it comes to find out that we can't find the girl anymore and we've all split up and and there's this this ghost that start abducting players when they when they go off one by one and uh, they they're being added to this little girl's collection of dolls in the dollhouse oh cool and, oh <laughs> and uh, and then eventually right we find out like the windows are barred. The door is locked. We can't get out. There's only like two people left or something. It, I think it came down to just my character had not been, um, Trapped had it. not been dollified at that point. And, uh, and I had to, I, I found the bones of, of whatever the ghost was in the basement and, and destroyed them. And that's what broke the curse for everyone else. But it was a very tense, like, Oh no, I can't find anyone. I need to do something. And I'm running around the house. That suspense is just amazing, you know. We we like that thrill. There's there's no doubt about it. I actually do have a story to add uh, about uh, the players bringing their own ideas, and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? The one campaign I actually ran myself. It was a Marvel superheroes campaign. We had a player portraying Deadpool. And we were about to go up to the big finale. It's being on uh, on AIM Island, uh, the, the headquarters for Advanced Idea Mechanics, you know, MODOK mm -hmm. and his flunkies. And the Deadpool player, this is the point where we're bringing in some reinforcements, spending some experience points to do that. And he brings in Bob, agent of Hydra. And 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 Bob shows up at the Sanctum Sanctorum because Seth was playing Doctor Strange. Nice. In a taco truck. <laughs> because that's what you do. Oh, I forgot about the taco truck. <laughs> and so And it's they, and it's Deadpool. <laughs> and and so they, they eventually get the idea, hey, this is how we can this is how we can keep people distracted. So they t teleport the taco truck to Aim Island. Perfect. And they're and they're and Deadpool and Bob are selling tacos to the Aim Grunts. And I'm like, okay, if now this system, if you roll a one, unexpected stuff happens. <laughs> and sure enough, they rolled a one. So I decided to have one of the members of the Intelligentsia, Modoc's group of super smart criminal mastermind scientists, show up. So we had Doctor Octopus buying tacos from Deadpool. <laughs> you can't, you can't buy that. You cannot buy that. That's, no, that is awesome. That is amazing. That's Hollywood script right there. Time to make the chimichangas. And they could have all hit stomach aches after having tacos, so they could have all been like doubled <laughs> over in pain. And, and if I remember correctly, meanwhile, while they were selling the tacos, the rest of us were infiltrating the base. That's amazing. That's right. That's awesome. <laughs> they all, that most of them could have been indisposed. That lives large on the on the on the list of things that are cool. Love it. So, uh, there's one question that comes from Italy, uh, and this is for all you DMs, even Natalia, even yep, I even you, James. What pair of dice pisses you off when a player uses them? Oh, Randy has an answer to that. <laughs> Our friend Sean is a big fan of dark colored dice. 
usually a mix of red and black or red and smoke, and you can never read the numbers. Now, I don't doubt his sincerity. He rolls phenomenally well, die roll after die roll. But, you know, when you have three or four 20s in a roll as, as a DM, you get a little suspicious. And and I, I harp on him. You need to buy some dice that I can read from a distance. <laughs> so so the, the same player who was uh, Deadpool in that game, he uh, has, I'm going to say, more recently bought these dice that are, uh, are they, they're called like Schrodinger's dice or something. They're, they're entirely clear. There's no paint on them at all. So... You can't read them at all. Is the cat alive or isn't it? Is it a one or is it an one? It's both. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, he, he rolls them and like even he has to like pick them up to look at him to see what number it is. So like you can't see him across the table. Of course, then there's our player, Evan, who every time he rolls a die, regardless of what he rolls, he claims natural. Natural what? <laughs> It's just Evan. Natural. <laughs> you have, what, a natural 10? What? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Chris, how about you? Um, the dice that I, I, I loathe the most are the... Um, I, I still... I had until... A, a, probably a couple of years ago, I had my original light blue that needed a crayon to see him set that came in the red box. Basic set dice basic set dice yes and <laughs> i'd had them for so long that they were they were rounded on the edges and so like you know how the 12 siders just infamous oh. for just rolling and rolling and rolling well all Low of them did that even the four sider at one point was a little like erratic <laughs> so those finally kind of like were retired mm. and, and and i have unfortunately i'm not sure what happened to them but something something did occur and they were lost to the ages during one of my many moves so I'm sad not, about not, that. Not to brag, Chris, Chris, but I can hook you up if you want to reduce another set to marbles. <laughs> I may take you up on that just for sentimentality's sake. Because, <laughs> you know, he believes in redundancy. He yeah. does. Well, you know, any good gamer really typically does. Once they get their first set of dice, they, they don't understand until they've started rolling them. Then they're like, oh, but now, dice now, I, need, now I need more. Oh, now yeah. I need more. And oh, I had I have the hobby and I, st I have it and I still do it that when I know I'm getting into a new campaign as a player, um, I will uh, I will go out and I will buy a new set of dice in commemoration of the the new character that has come to life. So, me too. Right right now as a dungeon master, I have what I've called my Sith set. It's all dark red and black, and oh, they're no. very pretty and marble and sparkly and and, uh, and 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 they're predictably lethal. I'm loving it. It's it's been a lot of fun. I, I've and been, Randy uh, would hate it if you ever brought that to Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Randy's not the DM on Sunday currently, so he doesn't nice. care what we're we talking bring. about. Sparkly dice. Okay, sparkly yes. dice. We got to tell the dice story. We got to tell the dice story. Randy, you want to lead up to so the So here, I'll, I'll start it off. My, my wife likes dice. We, I do. We've already uh, established that early on in this podcast. I have lots. I like to bop around old school gaming forums. And one of them, of course, is that uh, aforementioned ACM.com, the, the collector site. And bopping around there one day, I saw a thread that said, is this for real. And I was like, all right, I'll bite. It's clickbait. And I bopped into that thread and lo and behold, people were talking about how much old school dice were selling for on eBay. Well, one set of dice sold for $1,900. And it's just seven armory dice that sold for $1,900. And I looked at them and I looked at them and I went, I swear to God, my wife has a set of those dice. <laughs> So I ran downstairs and I looked in her collection and lo and behold, she did. Now we didn't have the little armory card that comes in there or chess chess dice is what they were. Um, but we had the dice and I pulled them out and I showed her the, uh, the, the link and her first comments were post them. <laughs> I, I, I said, what is your low limit that she'll accept? And what is your high limit? And uh, she told me, and I posted them with a buy it now of nine ninety nine, and literally within three hours, those dice were sold for almost a thousand dollars. Isn't that amazing? That is so awesome. what what made them so expensive? Why why were those? Apparently, they, they were a clear dice set 
with um, a rainbow colored glitter in them said glitter being made from the same stub substance that the euro is clad in and apparently so, they were a limited edition run and that's apparently what made them highly collectible so they were named aurora, aurora borealis confetti shining so down in dallas Borealis confetti dice and um the the glitter inside the the confetti rainbowish glitter um is is the same that's on the plating for the euro that is no longer being used um so it was uh collectible now for dice collectors and coin collectors and things like that because they weren't um printing the euro with that plate anymore and so they just so happens that those ones were um, extremely rare, that, that type of dice, because the dice, I think, were from like 1999, late 90s, early 2000s. And I might have spent like seven ninety nine or maybe even 10 bucks on the set of dice. Um, and I had ones that were similar to it. Um, the other kind that was the Aurora Borealis, but it was called Aquarpal. So it had like a purplish tinge to it with like a purplish blue. Those ones weren't as um, prominent as a collector's item, but they were selling one dice for like a hundred bucks, um, like the D20 or even a D6 of just one um, on amazing. eBay. So it's just. Our friend Mark keeps shaking his head, going, "Really, <laughs> really?" I know. Poor, poor Mark just could not He's wrap like, his head around that one. Dice, really? <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, is that the people who were com who were competing for the dice were other were other um, our peers, and they were also the coin collectors. So, like, you had a, suddenly a high demand for these dice just because of what was in them. So that's why it drove the price of them like through the roof. People are crazy. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Yeah, hey, they are. you know what? I've I have a DM question for Seth, if I may. Go ahead, Seth. What puts you in the chair? Like, why? Why? Why do you do it? I I love it. <laughs> um, I, I I love basically everything about it. The. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes I, I don't like, um, you know, spending an afternoon, um, you know, a couple days ahead of time to sort of plan out encounters or anything like that. That's a little um, time consuming. And there's just times where I'm like, you know, I don't want to do that. But mm -hmm. when I do that and then we go sit at the table and we have this encounter and it plays out better than I even anticipated, like that's just that's enjoyment. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I mean, as we've touched on, um, I do planning. But I don't plan everything. So for right. my campaigns, I like to come up with, this is what the overall, this is what's going to happen in the world, right? It doesn't matter what the players do. These things are probably going to happen. And how the players react to them is the story. And I did mm -hmm. not craft that story. And I don't know where they're going to go. And if they decide to totally leave the continent, which that thing is taking place on, then we'll come up with something new to do on this mm -hmm. other continent. Meanwhile, whatever that was was going to happen is still going to happen there. So they might have to atone for it later, right? If if there's a big bad who's going to try and take over the world and they're able to take over the whole continent or something because the players weren't there. But um, uh, yeah, I, I love the improv. I love the improv. That's cool. That's, that's very cool. That's now, do you have key, a right? You yeah. you throw the hooks out there and and let them take the bait or not, and just uh, you know. Um, uh, adapt, improvise, and overcome. Absolutely, and and when I say when you say the hooks, um, a lot of times a hook is is not even something you you even thought about. It's something you off the cuff said, right? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they keep coming back to that, like, well, you know, he did say this, yeah. and then they're going <laughs> on about that for like two sessions, and you're realizing, oh. I created this total extra story. Let's let's go down yeah. there. And, and One of those it. aha moments, <laughs> right? Now, do you have a game world that you have built on your own, or do you use like Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, something established? Um, so the, the the current game that we've been playing is a total homebrew game. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and you know what? Um, after after playing this game, I don't think I will play an established world again. 
Um, I, I used to play a lot of Forgotten Realms, and yeah. and I liked it. And you know, reading a bunch of Forgotten Realms books give you all sorts of like knowledge of oh well you know in this region these things have happened in the past or whatever which is great to have sort of all this like contextual information but to be able to make it on the fly is something special i think i agree um, absolutely agree so so yeah um i think i think from now on i'll probably only make custom worlds and something that I would love to do that I haven't done is I would love to f actually like complete a game in in said world and then start another game in that world, you know, decades later or something, where maybe all those players have become historical figures or something like that. I, I actually have done that. That's that's kind of cool. I was going to touch on that. Um, you know, the original uh, the original campaign that I ran in the world that I started creating many many years ago when I was still in college. I consider it like the end of the first age of this particular world. And the current party is like seven, eight, nine hundred years in the future of the older party. And I've had other campaigns along the way. So I'm actually starting to use some of the older campaigns as lore for the newer ones. And it's, so it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to tie that whole thing together. You know what? It's entirely selfish for me. It ties all of these stories that I've told together. And it's kind of a, it's a nice little, it's a quiet pat on the shoulder for myself of this is what you're doing and this is where you're going with it. And that's cool. And it, and it helps me kind of give the players a really kind of a nice rich backstory to play with. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds great. Okay. Chris, we you got are anything else for us? Um, we are actually going to start getting into some of the odder questions. Well, mm -hmm. one I actually do want to ask real quickly, because this did come from Serene, um, and this was her big one. Uh, do you have any advice for anyone who, for getting into role-playing side of D&D? So you have, like, the, you know, the, the but, like, you know, like, the, the mechanics of, all right, here's my character, here's their stats, but um, when it comes to doing, like, character voices and, and such... Um, she does get a little shy with them. Um, it isn't always her strong point. She's great at getting into a character, but like she gets nervous doing it in front of other people. Uh -huh. um, I just had this talk with my, my, and I'm sorry to interrupt, Chrissy. I, I just no, I, I wanted to jump in this. I seriously just had this talk last night with my Saturday court. We were talking about it because a lot of us are quote unquote veterans and some of us are even theater kids from back in our day. So it's easier for some than it is for others. But my message to Serene, who's had some amazing questions today, by the way, um, is don't worry about it. Absolutely do not worry about it because those inspirations will come as you as you go. And your, your best bet is to think about all of your favorite TV shows, movies, books that you've read. What character jumps out at you? What's the one you, you identify with? If you wanna play yourself as your first character, right? That's, you, you, mm -hmm. you, nobody you know better than yourself. You know, play yourself, put yourself, how would I act? How would I do? What am I going to restate? What am I going to, and then build from there, but never, ever, ever worry about voices, worry about personality. Don't worry about any of that stuff that will build as you get more comfortable with the, the, how you, how the mechanics work and how the story works and, and, and you will find yourself diving in, but don't put that pressure on yourself. That would be my recommendation as a, as a DM. Yeah, and to, to riff off what Chris said, you know, if you find yourself in a group where the DM insists on that aspect of it, find a different group. I mean, yeah. honestly, you play how you're comfortable playing. I have players at the table that don't say boo or maybe write a note every now and then. They they role play in the third person as opposed to the first person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's perfectly acceptable, um, however you get your point across. Now, I am something of a Luddite. I don't typically keep my my uh, smart device at the table when I'm DMing, um, but I do have copious amounts of uh, Post-it notes and, and fully expect people are going to write notes and fling them at me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can I fling dice at you? Oh, wait, I already have. Yeah, no, you, you do that. Fling them across the room when you're pissed off at them. Yeah, well. Oh, is it okay for me to say that? <laughs> Chris is usually the one that has to dodge because he's usually well, at the other know. end of the table. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had to dodge a few of those over the years. <laughs> Although none of us have gotten as bad as Mark with decimating his dice. Well, Ooh, yeah. I think with Chris, the height factor has something to do with it, too. Yeah, there's that. Just drop them from, the, from a distance and mm. that's it. Let them, let them plummet to their doom. So I, I want to come back to this question because I actually... 
um, I understood it differently than I think maybe you did. Um, okay. It sounds to me like they want to do a voice, but they're a little nervous about doing it, right? And it's it's not like they're Fair. being. They, it, I don't think they feel like they have to, but they want to. And uh, and so, um, as a DM, I, I definitely do voices. I don't do voices all the time. Um, mm -hmm. But but how do I <laughs> how do I do it? I mean, I mean, first off, if if you go to this group and you're with them for any length of time, you'll start to get comfortable with them. And the more comfort you get with people, the less nervous you'll get or the less embarrassed you'll get by trying the voice, right? Um, and those people are all there to have fun too. So they shouldn't really, you know, mind if you're doing a voice or not doing a voice. But if you are wanting to do a voice, you know, just kind of practice it on your own in the shower, on the way to work or, uh, or, or wherever, you know, just alone, just kind of get the feel for the voice on your own without anyone else listening. And that's valid too. That absolutely valid. Yeah. But but again, you know, if you if you don't want to do a voice, don't do one. Um, yeah. I, I will say, as a, as a DM, getting um, players to actually role play is um, is amazing. I mean, I, I love having actual role play happening. Um, but you know, not every player is going to do it, and not every group is going to do it, and that's fine too. Yeah, perfectly valid, really judgment free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this one's another one that came from Italy. Um, <laughs> how do you guys handle what it, and they, the translation for it is, I asked them to, to clarify it and I didn't get a response back, but how do you guys handle trigger material? Um, and I think what my cousins mean by trigger is stuff that may um, upset somebody. Oh, um, yeah. that. That's the that's the tr direct translation is trigger material, but I think it's like the stuff that um, material that may come out in an RP session, especially if you're dealing with older gamers that could upset someone at the table, either um, something dealing with sexual assault, racism, um, slavery, something like that. Like, how do you as a DM kind of help mitigate that? Well, I mean, sometimes, right. Um something like that might be okay to talk about or have as part of your game. Um, but, but you have to watch out for um, the, the body language or, or whatnot of your players. And if anyone at all looks like they're uncomfortable, I mean, uh, just shut it down. I mean, as the DM, right, you, you are typically, you know, in control of the game and you can say, ah, we're not going to talk about that or we're not going to do this. Yeah. And that, You're the that facilitator. But, but not only that, I mean, a player can also like anytime they should be able to speak up and say, Hey, you know what? I'm not really comfortable with this. Can we mm -hmm. do something different? Yeah. And that should be a thing. And, and this comes down to the groups again, you know, if you're in a group that, that you really like, and there's people, you know, then you're going to have less issue. But if you're in a brand new group, you know, maybe, maybe their standards were different before you got there. And so it might just come down to, should I stay in this group or not? But, right. uh, you know, always follow your own comfort zone. Don't let someone else tell you what your comfort zone is. And, and definitely knowing your group helps. Like our group has been around for so long that we kind of know somewhat of like the taboo type subjects that may or may not trigger somebody. And if there's something that does trigger um, that, that person goes to the other player or, or the DM or say, listen, this is where I'm at. This is whatever. This is how I react. And, and they're like, okay, we're going to try to stay away from using those type of words or whatever and this, that, and the other thing. Because it, it happens inadvertently in game sessions. I, I was watching a, um, a game session at a convention one time, and this was a few years ago. So this kind of attitude was not as prevalent. You know, We weren't as wary, but it was interesting to watch this happen. Um, where the DM was into the moment and explaining everything and this was going on and it was very pointed, very intense. <clears throat> and one of the players didn't so much freak out, but definitely you could tell there was a, a high level of discomfort. And the DM stopped right in the mid-sentence and said, what's going on over here? And the player said, look, I'm not, this is not good. Um, I'm sorry. And started to get up from the table. And the DM said, no, 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 hang on. This is not cool. Uh, all right, guys, uh, why don't we take a 10-minute break? 
Uh, I'm going to scrap this. We're going to rewind and I'm going to take care of it and we're going to be all set. Don't worry about it. Uh, so they got up, they, you know, and he went right over to the player. They had a little quiet conversation and, and they, it, it definitely was very positive. You could tell there was a lot of communication going on. Um, they shook hands, separated, boom, 10 minutes later, the DM had an entirely different story off the top of his head. I could not spin like that. This guy was amazing. I was watching it happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just read. It's like we've been saying, it's just read the room. And, and don't be afraid to say, you know what, I'm going to uh, tell an entirely different story and we're going to move on and, uh, and we're going to make sure that everybody's respected here. Very cool. Very cool. We're gonna... All right, James. All right. So your turn. Like, I did a last couple. <laughs> like I said a moment ago, we're starting to get into the odder questions. Yay. Yay. This is one from Serene. Best punishment to a douchey role player like someone who is just mean out of character. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, if if I have a player who is just being mean for the sake of being mean and, and they're and they're not really like being mean and everyone's having a good time about it. Yeah. Um you, you bring it up. And if if that's just who they are, maybe you ask them not to come back to the next session. Um it's kind of what we've been talking about, right? You, you got to know the group. You got to know what can fly and what can't fly. Mm-hmm. No, we're, we're all presumably adults and we should have appropriate respect for one another. And if, uh, if you have someone like that in the party uh, or, or in the group, um, you know, it's, it's well worth discussing with them. And if you can't come to, uh, you know, an agreement, um, you know, then they need to leave. You know, if it's, if, yeah. if it's affecting the rest of the group, um, sorry, you're, you know, you're the uh, uh, weakest link. Goodbye. 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 I figured we just have, you know, Tanya throw fireballs at him. No, and you know. And, <laughs> no, and, just D20s. <laughs> yeah, that would be D20s. It would be uh, uh, Caltrops. Um, it could be fireball candies. Yeah, it's just like over since 92, uh, we've never really had any douchey type players at the table that are just outright mean to each other. I know like we've had players that try to play somebody else's character, how they try would to play dictate it. to others. Try to this dictate. is how you should be playing. And yeah. I mean, cause it, it's happened to me at the table with some of the other players that have been at the thing. They're like, well, if you were a better mage, you could do this. And I'm like, Oh, you just didn't well, it wasn't go there. Even if you were a better mage, it was if you played your mage this but, way. Well, it's my mage. I'm right. going to play it how I want I'm to. Like, and uh-huh. I know I've purposely like have thrown my character across my character sheet across the table. I'm like, well, if you want to play her, here's her character sheet. I can go play World of Warcraft or whatever. I'm like, I don't need to be down here having somebody tell me how to play my character because it's my character. Right. And and we haven't seen that player back. No, well, um, I had a discussion with him offline, and he disagreed with, uh, you know, my explanation of the situation, and we, we just came to a mutual agreement that he would no longer play. So That's see, that. I didn't know you had that offline discussion. I did. <laughs> Not just with him, but with another player who was his friend. Mm. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, back to the, the, the wording in that question, how would you punish the player? You know, I... I urge you to never, never punish your, no. your characters, your players for anything. I mean, you know, if they make a choice in game to do something, you know, there might be a repercussion to that choice, but mm. never do something to punish them. If they're being, you know, mean or they took the last slice of pizza, you know, don't, don't, I don't you know, know that's don't, don't lock them in the cell. <laughs> No, I have yeah. to make an exception for Evan, though. Sometimes he deserves being punished just for what he puts me through. I think he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I think he does. No, it was just like um, our son Tyler last Thursday or whatever um, stood back and didn't really participate in any of the fighting. That he was just trying to like, no, 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 I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. I'm not going to fight. What's a fighter who doesn't want to fight. He's a fighter that doesn't want to fight. And meanwhile, the rest of the players are like, oh, my God, get in there. We can't do this. This isn't the other three thing. So because his player character didn't participate, even though he got smacked a couple times by the big baddies, our friend Sean playing the lawful good cleric when he went to channel the healing, 
he channeled <laughs> healing to everybody that participated and cut Tyler out. And, and Tyler's like, how many points do I get back? Sean's like, you don't get any back. Tyler's like, what? What, what do you mean? He goes, when you went and Sean's like, well, when you do your job, you get your earnings. You didn't do your job. So their very next combat, Tyler jumped right in there, did whatever he needed to do. Then he got healed. He goes, ah, so it was yeah. positive reinforcement. It was not a punishment. It was positive reinforcement. But Sean actually has shot Tyler with magic missiles and other campaigns. <laughs> so. I can I can visually see that too. Like I could just visually see that going down at the table. Now you have to understand that our son Tyler is going to be 22 next week. So therefore, he earned everything that he was given. <laughs> he just learned decisions have consequences. That's yeah. all. <laughs> and you don't argue with Uncle Sean. <laughs> and I don't have that much more time because it is 2.40 and I have to go get food and stuff for our game session for later and I have to feed Riker. So okay. I know that um, we have a couple questions left. but We have two. Okay. Okay, first one is... Um, do I have to share my Skittles when role-playing, or can I eat them all myself? <laughs> so I guess I can cook any food. Skittle thing again. Yeah, I don't know what that is. When I, I, when I finally know, guys, I will share, I promise. Please. So, I, you know, my, my short response to that is, uh, you know, sharing is caring. Unless they're the snack or Halloween size, in which case you are fully expected to eat that little baggie all by yourself. Right. I will I mean, share the I'm lemon ones. <laughs> I don't and eat I the lemon skittles. Lemon and so, I will eat your lemon skittles. Yeah. Well, good, because Sean usually eats them and he's not here this weekend. So, <laughs> no. yeah. But I'm like, we, we share candy and everything. I mean, Chrissy's been into our house. We have a whole snack cabinet. Um, we we share and share like in regards to treats, drinks, food, that type of stuff. So, but as Randy said, if it, if it's a little snack size, eat your own. But. And always separate the brown M&Ms. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I do sort oh, M&Ms and Skittles one. by color while I'm eating them. Yeah. I, I'm just neurotic that way. Yes, but we love you anyway. Yeah. Well, Seth, anything to add to that one? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that it, it's just it, everything comes back to know your group. If uh, the if someone else at the table is going to be upset that you're not sharing your skittles, don't bring them. <laughs> right. Did you bring enough for everyone? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my table. You know, we usually bring snacks and share them. But yeah. So our All final right, question: Which beverage makes the experience even more epic? Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, if weekend after Christmas, I think it was a bottle of Fat Frog Red, and oh uh, yeah, uh, we were all th that would have been mine. Any any type of uh, alcoholic drink in me becomes a, a quite an experience. Lightweight Tyler and his Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> Stumbling in the basement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any. You know, there's times I don't even have to be drinking and it becomes an no. interesting experience um, because then I might remember at the end of the night that I have second level spells that I could be using all day. Um, or that if I'm looking for horses in the city, that I actually say the word horses and not one that sounds like it. Um, the faux pas list. The, the yeah, we have a huge faux pas list of just things that go backwards. Like I was at Chris's house the other night. We were having a FC3 board meeting and we were talking about Halloween or costumes or whatever. And I'm like, well, you don't have to. He was wearing a Darth Vader costume to marry our friend Anne. I said, well, you don't have to be in the Darth um, Mater Vasque. And, and I wasn't drinking whatsoever, and I just totally changed that around, and I don't know. Now, as soon as she said Darth Mater, the only thing I think of was, was the, the, the character Tomater? from Darth. 
Yeah, seriously, <laughs> Darth Vader. I mean, and suddenly I was like, wait, what? I'm having this whole Larry the Cable Guy in a mask thing going on, and I'm like, yeah. this is disturbing. So it doesn't Disney even can need do that alcohol. Now. What was that, um, James? I, Disney can do that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I will I will preface my, my final comment uh, to this particular question with the, the disclaimer that um, you are not encouraged to drink uh, alcohol unless you are, of course, of legal age. And it does not condone the fact that I wasn't <laughs> when this story occurred. Uh, but we were all sitting around the table uh, in the dorms back in our college days. And we had been festive because uh, it was the end of the semester. And uh, at, at one point, the dungeon master, who had a, a, a tenuous grip on the rules to begin with, we'll say that, uh, made it clear to the party wizard that if he would do a fireball, then he would be able to cast a fireball. As a, <laughs> this is basically, essentially, he threw on the gauntlet to see what our, our friend who was playing the wizard would then do. So his, his wizard, which normally would be able to cast maybe three, four of the spells, in a particular given uh, game day, um, cast 12. The rest is history. We're just going to go back there, including his, uh, including, um, including his consciousness. But we'll go with that. You know, just I'm going to throw that out there. It wasn't a one tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor. Tequila floor. <laughs> so there was kind of a, a, a LARPing uh, prop element to uh, that character, if I yes. hear correctly. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. All, all I can say as far as favorite beverages for the win, it's Mountain Dew. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, hop on YouTube and look up 8-Bit D&D. <laughs> the classic. The classic. I love 8 bit D&D. Uh, what about you, Seth? Whatever drink is your favorite. There you go. <laughs> That's a good one. That's and, a good one. And that will close out the main body of what is now becoming a two-part podcast. As <laughs> <laughs> we're at an hour 36. Yeah, and seriously. And we still have a closer to do here, but uh, I'll just add a significant chunk of that in post. We'll just skip to this day in gaming right after this break. www.patreon.com backslash fc3roc we're part of the media division of flower city comic-con based in rochester new york we're a non-profit group everything we make off of patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests if you pledge any amount even a slim dollar you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc.org. And me at J-A-M-E-S at F-C-3-R-O-C dot org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool. And begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind, so if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, 
All music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Friends, that's going to do it for this week on Gaming Street Irregulars. I hope you've enjoyed this two-part journey through with our Dungeon Master panel, who will be back in some form. We, we're talking about some ideas after recording that sound like a blast, and I cannot wait to put those to, to digital uh, file. I want to say put them to tape, but that's really not a thing for me. <laughs> I normally say to our guests, you are always welcome at our table, but in this case... Uh, Without Dungeon Masters, Game Masters, the Storytellers, whatever you call the people who run RPG campaigns, there isn't a table in the first place. So thank you all for every creative contribution you have made to your tables. And that goes for everyone out there who qualifies under that uh, description, not just our panel. Folks, we will be back next Thursday. Until then, for Chrissy Harding and for everyone else here at Gaming Studio Regulars, I'm James Irish. Game on.